The reading is from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. We, we, the first group was at, uh, patient, impatient advice givers. Now the second group I'm telling you about is this group of people that would join me. And like if I hit the ball wrong, they didn't say anything. They didn't give me advice. When I hit the ball right, they would encourage me. And the other thing that this group of people would do would, that I loved about playing with them, especially when you're learning how to play golf, is if I would miss hit the ball, they would say, take a do-over. They would say to me, What's what I learned all about something called a mulligan, right? I loved mulligans. I still do love them, by the way. But I love that. And they would say, take it again. Tee up again. Take another shot. Try it again. They were, impatient. They were not impatient advice givers. They were patient encouragers who kept saying to me, you get a do-over. I think about that because they were looking at me not as a failure, as a golfer, but they were saying, we want this guy, we think he can become a golfer. <laughs> See what the difference? Like, we're not going to fix Matt, but we think Matt can become a golfer, and so we're going to treat Matt differently as a golfer than some other people will. This is exactly what Bob Goff is talking about, not golf, Goff, is talking about in his book, Everybody Always. He says this, the best way to express your faith to people is to tell them who they are becoming. Think about that. Don't tell people what they are doing wrong or how they're not being a Christian enough or behaving the right way. But what if we started to look at people and say, who are they becoming? <laughs> who do we see them becoming? What, is, what, what, what can we see in them? And how can we encourage them and be patient with them and even give them a do-over? I think we all need mulligans in the Christian faith. Can I get an amen this morning? Right. Glad you're with me. This is exactly what Jesus does with Peter. Now, this is a great passage about uh, Peter and Jesus and Peter's recognition that Jesus is the Messiah, which is a big part of this passage. I want to jump, though, not to the identity of Jesus because that's a big part of what's happening here and who Jesus is. You know, they've at, he says, who, are, who do people think I am? And they say, one of the prophets. And he says to his disciples, well, who do you think I am? And Peter comes out and says, the son of the living God the Messiah, the anointed one, and he gets it, you know, he gets this understanding, this revelation. And so notice that what Jesus does is though Jesus begins to speak to Peter about who he's becoming. He's not there yet, is he? I mean, we're going to see that. But who is Peter becoming? First of all, he's blessed 
because of the revelation, because he has recognized who Jesus is when the world has not recognized it. And so he has this blessing of revelation and that can only come from the Holy Spirit in his life. And so Jesus acknowledges this blessing in his life. But then he says, he calls Peter the what? What does he tell Peter? Who, who is Peter going to become? The rock, right? The rock of the church, the foundation. We understand in Scripture that Jesus is the cornerstone. And then here we see uh, Peter also being said, you're going to be a rock. But the rock that Jesus is referring to is more like a foundation stone, a, a, a large stone that would be laid to set a foundation for a large temple or building. If you ever travel to Israel, you'll go uh, to the Temple Mount, and on the Temple Mount is what's called the Dome of the Rock. And in that dome, you can see, if this is from looking above, looking down, is this rock, this natural formation of rock on the Temple Mount. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, archaeology around this, and there are a lot of things that this dates back to, and there are different connections to the Muslim faith as well as the Jewish faith. But one of the things that connects back to the original temple in the first century is they think this was the foundation of the temple. In fact, possibly what is called the in the temple, if you know you those of you who studied Bible uh, 101 about the temple, there was a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies where this priest would go in once a year and sacrifice. But it, they believed that the Holy of Holies was on this rock. This was the foundation of the temple. And so when Jesus is saying to Peter, you're the rock, it may have, he may have had this rock in mind. He may have had, Peter may be thinking about this foundation, large rock foundation that the whole temple was set on. But what Jesus is saying is, actually, we're building a new temple, Peter. You're one of the foundation stones, but not a physical temple, a spiritual temple, a spiritual house. In fact, Peter brings this up later in the New Testament when he says this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So Peter's a foundation, Jesus is the cornerstone, and you and I, when we follow Christ, when we come to that revelation that Jesus is the Messiah in our lives, we become one of those living stones on which we are building and being built up as a spiritual house of God. So that's all the idea of Rock. There's one other thing, though, that Jesus says to Peter. And the th third thing that he says to Peter is this. We're giving you the keys. <laughs> you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Wow. And I think, and, and I'm interpreting this, this is Matt coming into the text here a little bit, but I think this is about keys that open the doors to heaven, not close them. I think Peter's being given keys, and we'll see this in a minute, but keys that will open the gates of heaven to people. And so he's got this. He's, so he's, he's blessed. He's the rock. He's got the keys of the, of the kingdom of heaven. This is who Peter is becoming. But we immediately recognize, if we were to keep reading in the text, that he's not there yet. Very next verses, 22, 23, Peter comes to the disciples and says to them, I'm heading to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And they're going to, you know, I'm going to die and I'm going to die in Jerusalem. I'm going to hang on a cross. And Peter immediately steps up, you know, the rock, the one who has the keys of heaven says, no way. That's not going to happen to you, Jesus. And you know what Jesus says to him? The words of Jesus probably cut right to his heart. He said, get behind me, Satan. Wait a second. 
The Rock, and I'm not talking about Dwayne Johnson. The Rock has now become Satan? What is going on here, right? Well, see, gee, Peter's not there yet. <laughs> I think here's the thing about Christianity. You know, whenever we label ourselves a Christian or say somebody's a Christian, what we do is we place this, all these expectations on them that they're going to be just like Jesus. And we forget that there's a big, huge gap between who they are and who they're becoming. You know, when I'm a, a novice golfer, you would not consider me a golfer, right? I was becoming a golfer. And we all are becoming more like Christ, but we're not all there yet. So what do you do? Like when you're like Peter, when you mess up, when you fail, when you fall short, what do you do? And how do we react to people, you know, when they don't get it right or when they fail or when they're not living up to being what it looks like to be what we would expect them to be as a Christian? When they, we see that gap in their lives between who they are today and who they're becoming in Jesus Christ, what do we do with that gap? How do we treat them? What do we do with them? How do we engage them? You know, I, there's an old saying in the church I want to remind you of, or maybe new to you, it's this. The church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. The church, let's all read that together, actually. The church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners, right? Because we're all not there yet. We all need patience. We all need encouragement. We all need second chances as Christians, so how we treat each other, how we relate to each other in the house of God is important. If we're expecting everybody to be a saint, what, how do we react when they fall short? But if we realize that we're a hospital for sinners, when they fall short, we're going to react differently to them. We're going to behave differently. Now, Bob Goff, uh, in his book, talks about skydiving. Has anybody here ever been jumped out of a plane with a parachute and gone skydiving? So, yeah, Great. I've been thinking about doing that, but after this illustration, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and you're going to understand why in just a minute. It's kind of a little bit morbid. But Bob Goff talks about going and taking lessons to jump out of a plane and take parachute, uh, you know, skydiving lessons. So he says he goes to his week-long class, and they teach him about jumping out of a plane. They tell him, you know, you have to jump out of the plane. And when you jump out of the plane, then you wait so long, and then you pull the cord, the rip cord, and out comes your parachute. And he said, the next thing you're supposed to do after you pull the cord and you, you're supposed to, and the parachute comes, you're supposed to look at your parachute and make sure all the strings are in order, right, where they're supposed to be, and that none of the strings holding the chute are over the top of the chute. Because if they're preventing the full expansion of the parachute, it's not going to slow you down enough. So if that happens as you're parachuting and you're fall, free-falling and the parachute doesn't fully deploy the next thing you're supposed to do is you're supposed to cut away that parachute. That's where this gets a little crazy, right? <laughs> I, I don't care if it's all, you know, I'm only going like 50 miles an hour instead of 45 miles an hour. I'm not going to cut, you know, that's your lifeline, right? But he says, hey, teacher, you cut your chute away, and then you start free falling again for another 30 seconds, and then you pull the emergency rip cord for the emergency parachute. And so then, hopefully, that chute comes out, Right? And it's not as big as the other one, so it's still, but it's still working. It's still slowing you down. So somebody in the class, in Bob's class, probably raised their hand. So 
So what happens if the emergency chute fails? And the instructor looked at him and says, well, you've got about 45 seconds till you hit the ground. But then the instructor adds this. This is the kind of hard part. He's like, you actually don't die on your first hit. Like, you don't die when you hit the ground. You die because you bounce. And Bob Goff in his book says, you know what I'm going to do? The first time I hit, I'm grabbing the grass. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold on, right? But this is where Bob comes up with this idea and really the title of the message today. Because here's the thing. We are all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have failure in our life. There are going to be times, too, when our failure, we hit hard. We just, our life just falls apart. And sometimes it's unplanned. It's nothing in our control. Something just fails. And so we end up being in pain and hurt and so forth, and we just hit hard. This is what Bob Goff says. What would it look like if we were to catch people on the bounce? When they mess up, reach out to them with love and acceptance the way Jesus did. When they hit hard, run to them with arms wide open to hug them even harder. See, what it would mean is for us to be more like the prodigal father. Who when the son returns home having failed and spent all the wealth that we run to them and embrace them and forgive them and give them a second chance, right? What would that look like? What would it look like to be that kind of church where people got second chances? What would it look like if we were to catch people on the bounce? When they hit hard, we're there to catch them so that they don't hit hard the second time. We're there to offer them grace. This is exactly what Jesus does for Peter. Because Peter later on, when they do get to Jerusalem and Jesus does go to the cross, he's in a courtyard one evening and they've arrested him and Peter's hanging out in the courtyard kind of watching what's going on. He's wondering what's going to happen to Jesus and people keep coming to Peter. Hey, aren't you one of the disciples? Nope, not me. And they say, oh, well, Peter, aren't you with Jesus? Nope, not me. Three times he denies that he knows Jesus. And his heart is broken. And he walks away in shame and he leaves. And Jesus dies on a cross. And Peter's there to recognize the resurrection. But what Peter does next after the resurrection doesn't really surprise us. Because what Peter does is Peter goes back to fishing. <laughs> Peter doesn't go on to be the rock with the keys, the blessed one. Peter goes back to what he knew as a fisherman. He goes back to what he was doing before he met Jesus. You remember on window, remember Windows, anybody you know, using Windows? I know a lot of us use Windows operating system, right? You remember when you'd get like the blue screen of death, you know? Or like maybe I'm going way too back and far in time, but you know, the, or the computer freezes, right? And then you have to reboot the computer and it gives you the option to reboot in what's called safe mode, right? This is what Peter's doing. Peter's rebooting his life in safe mode. He has forgotten that he is the rock and that he has the keys of heaven. He has gone back to what he knew because he's failed. He's a failure in his own eyes. And so here he is fishing, failed at being a disciple. And guess who shows up? With breakfast. Jesus. 
Jesus meets him on the shore of that lake and says, Peter, do you love me? Asks him three times to restore him back from the three denials. And then he says to Peter, if you love me, follow me. Be the rock. You've got the keys. <laughs> what Jesus is doing is saying, I haven't given up on you, Peter. I don't see you as a failure. I still see you as who you're becoming. I don't, I don't define you by your failure in a courtyard. Think about that. Think about that, that when God looks at you, that when Jesus looks at you, Jesus does not see failure. <laughs> Jesus sees who you're becoming, who God has called you to be. And Jesus is always speaking that into your life. That's what's happening for Peter. That's what Jesus is doing with Peter. And if you read past John, that happens in the end of the Gospel of John. The very next book in the Bible is the book of Acts. And you see the Holy Spirit poured out on Peter and the disciples in the first chapter of Acts. Chapter 2, Peter gives the sermon of his lifetime. 3,000 people come to know Christ on that day after he preaches this sermon. The rock is back. And again, it's not Dwayne Johnson, Rock Johnson. It's Peter. Peter's back. He's doing what God called him to do. <laughs> then if you keep going with the disciples in the book of Acts... So the door has been opened, the gates of heaven now have been opened to the Jews in Jerusalem, but then in chapter 8, the gates of heaven are now open to the Samaritans. Were you here last week? We talked about the Good Samaritan and how the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They didn't get along. They were political opponents, theological opponents, and now Peter and the disciples are opening the gates of heaven to their enemies, the Samaritans, in chapter 8. But it doesn't stop there. You keep going in Acts chapter 10. Chapter 10, the gates of heaven, the keys in Peter's hand are now opening the gates of heaven to what's called the Gentiles, which means the people of every other nation. Peter is the rock of the church. Peter and the disciples have the keys, and they're living out God's call through the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and the gates of heaven have been opened to every single human on the planet. The church is being built as living stones because everybody always, right? Everybody always is open. The gates are open to anyone who wants to enter. So I want you to think this morning. I want to ask you to think about this. Who in your life right now has failed? Who's hit hard? Who do you know right now who's hurting that you could run to, that you could encourage, that you could be patient with, that you could catch them before they bounce and hit even harder? Who is it that you could be hope for, be love for in your life right now? I imagine there's somebody in your world, in your life right now, who's hurting, <laughs> who you could be that person of encouragement and say, I'm not going to look at your failure. I'm going to see you and who you can become. I'm going to see you through the eyes of Jesus, not through my eyes of judgment. You know, when I was in college, you know, some of you know the story how God met me in a bar. But after I had fallen from grace, so to speak, I spent my first two years at college partying pretty hard and heavy. 
came to the point where the Holy Spirit spoke into my life and I began to turn my life around. I was actually had connections to two groups in college, two Christian groups. And there was a Christian group uh, called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, and I've shared some parts of these stories, so forgive me if they're repeat for some of you. But when I went to that group and I shared, confessed my sin and my failure to them, their response was, whoa, we need to just step away from Matt. He failed. He's supposed to be a Christian, but that's not what Christians do. And so I, we need to avoid Matt. And they said, you failed. We're going to give you some space, give you some time. Go figure yourself out, right? And that hurt when your friends do that, when the people you think are your friends do that. But there was another group I was connected with called Youth for Christ. And it turns, and this will make sense why I married the daughter of the director now, right? <laughs> so the director... My mother, now mother-in-law, came to me as a college student, and she knew about those two years of college. But she came to me and she said, Matt, you'd make a great volunteer for our youth. Would you come join us and volunteer and help us to reach kids for Christ? Because she wasn't looking at my failure, was she? <laughs> she was looking at who I could become. She saw something in me and said, I am not going to look at this young man and say, Failure, letter A, red letter A. But I'm going to say, I see something. I see who he can become. And I'm going to hope that for him. And I'm going to give him a second chance. Wow. That's the reason I'm standing here before you today. Because somebody's decided to look at not at my failure but to look at who I be, could, could become with the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ. There are people right now in your life that are waiting for that. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've been waiting for somebody just to believe in you and to see who you could become in Christ. Stop defining yourself as a failure. Because Jesus doesn't. Let's pray together.